Jesus' name, amen. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned and brought the curse upon humanity, life has always been complicated by sin. Yes, we can say life is complicated because sin complicates things. I imagine all of you know that to be true, that sin always complicates things. And since everyone is a sinner, then everybody has a life that's complicated. Therefore, when Jesus tells the story of his servants in the Bible, every story that Jesus tells about his servants is associated with problems. Everybody has problems. Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin. That was a problem. They were cast out of their home because of their sin. And later, their firstborn son, Cain, killed Abel. It didn't take long after creation for sin to have a real effect, and Cain killed his brother. Abraham, the friend of God, had problems with his nephew Lot. And then Abraham had problems with himself because he lied about Sarah. And this would have really brought problems because this could have kept the, us from ever having a Savior because God had promised to bring the Savior through Abraham. And that would have been complicated unless God had intervened. And so there were problems in Abraham's life. Moses, the great lawgiver, had problems with the rebellious children of Israel. And then he was not permitted to go into the promised land because of problems that he had, a disobedience when he wouldn't obey the Lord, and God told him to speak the rock to the rock, and he smote it instead. David, the great psalmist and king of Israel, had problems with his own lust, and he reaped awful results in his own family because of that. Daniel had problems with the kings he served, and they brought a lot of problems upon him, one being the den of lions. And so Daniel suffered problems. Jeremiah, God's great prophet, uh, was treated with disrespect by his, by his own people and uh, went through his life suffering because of that, the many problems he suffered at their hands. Then, then Paul in the New Testament, that great apostle who wrote many books of the New Testament, uh, experienced problems from his countrymen, his own countrymen. And then tradition tells us, and probably is true, that Paul, the great apostle, was, his life was ended by him being beheaded. The apostle Peter, was, had his life, even though he went through problems, you know, from, from his own denial of the Lord, that caused him problems and uh, other things. But then and at the end of his life, he was crucified, tradition tells us. And so a terrible thing happened to Peter. And then John the apostle, that great apostle who loved the Lord and the Lord loved him, he was banished to the Isle of Patmos, and, te- and tradition tells us he was boiled in a pot of oil, and it did not kill him. And then they sent him to Ephesus, and in Ephesus he, Ephesus he died at an old age. So he had problems. So if you're going through problems in your life, guess what? It's normal. <laughs> it's normal. It happens. It always happens. As Eliphaz sa- said to Job, He said, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. And if you've ever done anything with uh, make sparks fly, you'll know they'll normally fly upward. And he said, it's just inevitable that people have problems. And then Paul told Timothy this. He said, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not maybe, shall suffer persecution. So problems are going to happen. As we look at Genesis 26, we find that Isaac also had problems. As I study this chapter, the Lord enabled me to pick out uh, five different areas where he had problems, and I want to mention those to you this morning. 
The first, pro- first area he had problems with, with what in was the area of famine. Famine. The Bible says in, in chapter 26, verse 1, and there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went into Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. He, had, he faced problems with the famine. You see, famines are caused by lack of rain. So the crops can't grow and the crops can't produce like they normally would. And when you do not have enough, when you do not have what you think you need, it will always cause problems because you'll be tempted to do things that are wrong to settle that need. And so many of us have been there. In fact, everybody's been there. You've gone through famine in your life. You've gone through uh, lack, lack in your life. You've gone through time when you needed something and you couldn't get it. You thought that you really needed this. And uh, you maybe did something you wouldn't normally do in order to get that, and that's exactly what Isaac did. He went through famines. When you do not have what you need, you'll be tempted to do things that are wrong. And that's happened to Isaac. Isaac evidently left his home. His home was a place where he was used to, is a place where he raised his kids. And uh, Jacob and Esau were there. Remember, they had already been born. And we found out the problems in chapter 25 between them. But uh, Jacob and Esau seemingly did not go with Isaac when he went to Gerar. Now, why do we know that? Well, we don't for sure, but we sort of think maybe they didn't because when when he had problems, he was afraid the men of the city would kill him to get his wife. Now, if he had his grown sons there protect him, I don't imagine he would be too concerned about that because they would be there to protect mom and dad. But it seemed to be only Isaac and Rebekah and his servants and his flocks and his herds went down to this strange land into Gerar, and even though it was country that God said, I'm going to give to you, it didn't belong to them yet, at least by possession. And so uh, they're in this strange country called Gerar, and he runs into this problem. Uh, So probably Jacob and Esau were not there. And so it seems that Isaac, as he was going to a place that maybe was less affected by the, by the lack of rain, maybe was having less famine, he decided to go to Gerar. But then the temptation came to go all the way into Egypt. Now, it wasn't good to go to Egypt. You remember, God had taken them out of there years before, the children of Israel. And so Abraham got in trouble when he went down to Egypt. So Isaac knew that it probably wasn't right to go to Egypt, but he was tempted to, and God had to come in, and God had to say, don't go to Egypt. Now, why was he facing that? Because of famine. He lacked supply, and he thought he should do something that maybe was out of the will of God just to meet those needs. We should not be fair-weather Christians. Now, Isaac was maybe not, not Christian in, in the sense, but a fair-weather believer. And it, we don't know for sure. It might not have been God's will for him to ever leave where he was to go to Gerar. But it what definitely wasn't God's will for him to go to Egypt. And so he's been affected by famine, which is caused by the weather, and he's a fair-weather believer, you might say. You might say, well, I'd never be that. Well, are we? Are we fair-weather believers? When famine comes into your life, do you do things that, that, to disobey God that you wouldn't have done if there hadn't been famine in your life? 
What about Sunday morning? You get up and it's pouring the rain. I mean, it's I mean, it's just pouring the rain. And you think, I don't think I'll go to church today. Why? You're a fair-weather Christian. That's why. What if it would happen Monday morning? Do you think that excuse would would uh, would satisfy the boss? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm not. I didn't come in this morning because it's raining. What? <laughs> you know, we've got people waiting in line for your job. What do you mean it's raining? Get an umbrella. Get in your car. Come to work. <laughs> well, some we should do that for church too. I know there's times where it's dangerous. You know, the weather is such that it's dangerous to get out. And in those cases, we'll sometimes cancel services. But most of the time, we can get there. The problem is, will we? And uh, it all depends on what we do when we face this time uh, like uh, Isaac did. So Isaac faced problems because of famine. Then there's another thing he faced problems with, and that's the next thing in line, and that's because of fear. Because of fear. Look at verse 7. It says, and the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, she is my sister, for she three feared to say she is my wife, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill him for Rebekah because she was fair to look upon. Now, let me remind you, Rebekah's about 60 years old. <laughs> You'd like to be that beautiful at 60 years old. Well, that's the way Rebekah was. She was pretty, and it says she was fair to look upon. And so Isaac had... Fear. The Bible says he was afraid. What was he afraid of? Somebody would kill him for his wife. So he would allow his wife to be put in jeopardy just to save his own life, and he said, she's my sister. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? His dad did that. You remember Abraham did that, and it happened earlier in Genesis. We've looked at it before. And so he's sort of following in the footsteps, even though it's many years later, he's following in the footsteps of his dad. So he feared and he lied and said, she is my sister. He sinned because he feared. What did he fear? Well, he feared his enemies. They were around him and he said, you know, they're heathen. They don't know my God. They don't have the same principles I do and and they'd kill me to get her. And so he feared his enemies. He feared the circumstances. Here I am in a strange land and I don't have neighbors that I really trust. It's just me and Rebecca and our servants and our herds and everything. And uh, I, I fear the circumstances. And then he also feared the consequences. The consequences were this. If I don't do something, they will kill my wife. Now, let, let me remind you, he didn't know that. He didn't know that. Only God knows that. Only God knows what if. You don't know what if. And we find out later it was unfounded. Because Abimelech said, we'd never do that. (laughs) And uh, so uh, it was unfounded. But he feared the consequences. He also feared the unknown. I I just don't know what's going to happen. And he feared the future because he didn't know what the future held. Well, the problem was he should have trusted God because God knows all about the enemies. (laughs) God knows all about the, the circumstances. God knows all about the consequences. God knows all about the unknown, and God knows the future. And so do what's right and trust God. He also forgot something. You know, it was just, we didn't read it. Or we read it as we read through the passage. But back in, in earlier, the Lord said this, this to him. Before this happened, he said, A sojourn in this land, I will be with thee. I will bless thee. 
For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. Will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed all shall, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I, I promise you this. So, did he have to worry about somebody killing him? No, they couldn't kill him. Because God had said, you, you are going to be the father of these many people, and from you is going to come uh, this, these many promises, and so I'm going to protect you, I'm going to be with you, and I'll take care of you. And so he knew that. But yet, in the time of fear, he forgot God's promises. Don't we do that sometimes? In a time of fear, we do things we shouldn't do because we forgot, said, I will never leave you. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's nothing that's going to happen to you that I can't accomplish something good from it. And I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. You cast all your care on me. I care for you. And I will be there and I will protect you. We, the Lord promises that. I'll provide your needs, all of those things. God has promised. And so when problems come because of fear, we need to trust God and do what is right. What should Isaac have done? Trust God and tell the truth. And if they ask, say, she's my wife. And I'm proud of her. Isn't she pretty? <laughs> she's my wife. That's what he should have done. But he said, no, she's my sister. Well, the next source of problems came. He, he faced problems because of famine. He faced problems because of fear. But the next source of his problem was he faced problems because of finances. Now, I know none of you have ever been there. <laughs> no, I'm, I know better. You have been there. Everybody's been there. Because we all face problems because of finances. Money causes all kinds of problems. Whether you don't have enough, whether you have just enough, or whether you have more than enough, money still causes problems. You see, Isaac's abundance came from God. His abundance came from the Lord. And God is the one that blessed him. And you need to say, and I need to say, that all that we have came from the Lord. If you say, I don't have enough, well, what you do have, where did it come from? It came from the Lord. If you have, say, I have just enough, then what you have that's just enough, where did it come from? It came from the Lord. If you say, I have more than enough, where did that come from? It came from the Lord. And the same one that gave it to you can take it away from you. And so the Lord is the, one, is the source of it all. And he says in verse, two, verse 12, he says, the Lord blessed him. Why did he have all these flocks, all these herds, all these servants? Why was he so blessed? Why would, when he sowed in a place that was experiencing famine that he produced a hundredfold and it was unlike anybody around him so they ended up envying him? Why, is, why did that happen? Because God did that. God blessed him. Abraham's abundance also brought responsibilities. You read it and you say, flocks, herds, and servants. Now, we look at that sometimes, we think, wow, wouldn't that be nice to have flocks, herds, and servants? You talk to any farmer who has a lot of animals, and I'll tell you what, they'll tell you the more you have, the more responsibilities you have. 
And the more land you have, the more, more animals you have, the more responsibility you have, the more workers you have, servants you have, people, the more responsibility because you're in charge of all that. And so with all, these, all this wealth comes responsibility, and with the responsibility comes problems because guess who you're dealing with when these, the servants, the people helping? You're dealing with sinners just like you, and they have problems. And so all of it, it compounds into being problems because wealth brings problems. You see, the Philistines ended up envying him. Now, that was a problem. And uh, a lot of people who have wealth have faced this problem, and that is people around them envy them. You know, we've all done it. How many of us have said, looked at somebody who has really blessed, and they'd say, we say something like this, must be nice. Well, that's, that sure, sort of shows our hearts, you know. We're envying them. We should say, praise the Lord. Thank the Lord he's blessed you. And not be envious, but they envied him. When they envied him, what did they do? They talked about him. They uh, disliked him. Uh, they were out to take away what he had. They were, they were against him. And yes, everybody has problems, just like Isaac did, and, it's, and uh, many of our problems are related to finances. We must honor God and trust him when we have much. We must honor God and trust him when we have uh, just enough. We must honor God and trust him when we have not enough. Whatever we have, we need to honor the Lord and trust him. Finances can cause us trouble. The question is, how do we handle it? How do we handle it? If we don't have enough, we should talk to the Lord about it. And say, Lord, I know good. Every good and perfect thing comes down from love. James 1.17 tells us that. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, ask the question, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. So we say, Lord, everything comes from you. And you can withhold, you can give. And Lord, I don't have enough now. You must have a, a reason for that. And I ask you to help me. Help me to stay true to you. I ask you to supply my needs. When we have more than enough, say, Lord, how can I use this wisely? How can I use it in your work? How can I use it for the glory of God? And uh, regardless what you have, we should ask that. And so finances pose uh, a problem sometimes, and we need to know how to handle it. And then there's another area where he had problems. He had problems from famine. He had problems from fear. He had pr problems from finances. But then he had problems from foes. He had problems from foes. Look at verse 15. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. Abraham, his father, had dug all these wells. And uh, he dug these wells, and they didn't like Abraham because God blessed Abraham. And the unsaved world doesn't like it when God's people are blessed. And so they, they stopped his wells. They filled them with earth, with dirt, and so that he couldn't get any use out of them. And so the foes moved against Isaac, because they were stopping all these wells that his father had dug. And the foes will try to stop your wells as well. You see, Satan does not like our sources of life. They, Satan doesn't like our sources of blessing. 
What are our sources of life as, as Christians? Well, Jesus is the main source. He's the main source. Does the world like Jesus? No. I mean, every Easter, they come out with some story to try to explain away the, the, the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Christmas, it's something to try to diminish from uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and how important that is. And they try to, to drown it out with all the other things that happen during Christmas. Just don't mention the birth of Jesus. And don't have a manger scene out in public. Oh, that shouldn't be allowed. They'll do anything they can to stop Jesus because he's the source of your blessing. And they're against the Lord Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the source of our blessing because he lives inside of us and gives us joy and, and peace. And, and the world tries to take that away from us. Satan doesn't want us to have that. And he'll bring problems in your life to try to destroy that peace that you have from the Lord. The Bible, the Word of God, there's an attack upon the Word of God has been for years and will continue and accelerates even today, attack upon the Word of God. In our schools today, they try to take out the Word of God, or they have taken out the Word of God. Why? Because the Bible is the source of blessing, and the devil's against the source of blessing, and he'll try to stop those. Prayer, is it, it shouldn't be thought unusual that they don't want us to pray. And they don't want us to pray in school, the kids to pray in school. And if you as an individual are called on to pray in public, they don't want you to pray in Jesus' name, that might offend somebody. I'll tell you who it offends. It offends Satan. He's behind all of that opposition. It offends him. That's why he doesn't want it. And so they'll try to stop that. A source of blessing is the church. A source of blessing is our, our freedom to witness and to tell people about Jesus. That's a blessing to be able to do that. Our source of blessing is, is to be able to sing. All of those things. And those who hated Abraham stopped his wells. It not, should not surprise us that they'll try to stop our wells as well. So I've mentioned the reading of the Bible in schools. They stopped that. The prayer of Jesus' name, they stopped that. Witnessing. There's all the time, little, you'll hear different places that somebody had to go, to, had to go uh, before the, the court because they were witnessing in public. And they've actually tried to keep you from witnessing in public. And uh, the devil's against that. He tries to stop that well. Church attendance. You say, well, they don't do anything about that. Oh, yes, they have. Have you forgotten COVID and the shutting down of the church services? Now, we shut down for seven weeks. In the very beginning of it, when it all was unknown and everything, everybody was all uh, afraid and everything, and we shut down for seven weeks. I don't regret doing that. But I remember when the, when the governor came out and said, we're going to extend this, all these restrictions, and I, as pastor, I said, no, we're not going to do it. And I had announced earlier we're going to start back on Mother's Day. And when he came out with that, I said, we're going to still start back on Mother's Day. And we started back Mother's Day last year. And we'll continue to have services because uh, the, with the devil, if he, you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. And he would love to stop church services. And singing, we mentioned singing. You know, that's, a, that's something that's a blessing to Christians. It, it's just a, a, a means of, of the wells overflowing. You know, you know talking talk about singing of the Lord, to the Lord praise. And during COVID, what did they try to do? In some church service, they said, all right, you can meet, but you can't sing. You can't sing. 
Well, the devil, he'll do anything he can to take away our wells, to stop them. And today, we have to be careful about the PC crowd. You know what the PC crowd is? The politically correct crowd. And you have, have you noticed you don't hear a lot about PC anymore? But you hear a lot about woke, don't you? Well, the PC crowd, politically correct crowd, kept you from doing things or saying things that were not politically correct. In other words, what they determined they didn't like is what you were not supposed to say. And so you had to be politically correct in your speech. Today, it's the, it's the woke. You know, it's woke. Uh, do you know what woke means? Sometimes we're tempted to say, well, woke, woke means that must stand for so, certain uh, words. No. Woke started way back in, in 1962, the glossary of the, of the African-American slang defined the, defined the word woke as well-informed or up-to-date. It was their way of saying in a slang type, all of us have you know, slang expressions, but their expression was woke. Uh, we are well-informed. Uh, we're up-to-date, woke. But by 2008, it meant awareness. And today, it means alert to racial and social discrimination and injustice as they define it. <laughs> so racial injustice, they would try to uh, ha have uh, the different, uh, not races really, they call it races, but there's one race, and it's the human race. And just different peoples of different ethnic backgrounds and everything, they try to get them opposed to each other. And uh, they say that we need to be aware of what's going on. And a lot of times it's things that they've invented themselves, and they'll come up with some little uh, illustration of it and act as if that's the, whole, that's the norm throughout the country, and it's not. But they, they say they're aware to all this that's going on. And social discrimination, what does that involve? Well, that involves, you know, the thing about marriage, and they say marriage should be by whoever between whoever you want it to be, man and a woman, or a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, or whatever it might be. And so that's social. And so that's social discrimination if you're against that. If you say there are two genders, they would disagree and say, oh, there's a lot more than that. Oh, well, that's, that's, that's woke to be able to, 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 to come in, up and say those th kind of things. And uh, they're up to date and uh, they're aware of what th they think is going on. And so they say that they want to be woke. And injustice, uh, they talk about injustice, and usually it's, it's because of their injustice. Then their injustice today is financial standing. And so the leftists are using these ideas to divide people and move towards socialism and, you know, and, and you know, Marxism, which is behind a lot of it, tears, it gets the different groups of people to fight against each other and then come to the realization you know, that we, we all need to be equal. And in this whole system, the great equalizer turns out to be who? who? The government. <laughs> and the government, and you'll start hearing things, I've heard some recently, about uh, abolishing uh, personal property rights. What do they want to do? They want to make it so that the government owns everything and everybody's equal. Everybody has all you need to live on. Everybody has all the, the health care you want. Everybody has everything. And it's all trying to, to tear down our system of government. And behind it is the devil.
I remind you today that God likes liberty. God likes freedom. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. Deuteronomy 11, verse 26, it says, Behold, I set before you the day of blessing and cursing, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandment of the Lord your God. Turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. The Lord says, I set before you two ways. You choose. Isn't that what he did with Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, I set before you two ways. In this garden is everything that you need. You can have everything. Just one thing you can't have, and I'm going to give you the choice. The the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't you eat of it, because if you do, you'll die. But I'm going to let you make the choice. And God is for freedom. God doesn't force you to trust Jesus as your Savior. He gives you a choice. And you have to make that choice. So God is for freedom. We must be aware of present-day wokeness. It's an enemy of our country. It's an enemy of our freedoms. It's an enemy of everything we stand for as Christians. And it will eventually, if it keeps on going, their desire is to squash Christianity and to take away our freedoms as Christians, the freedom of speech, the freedom of the press. That's already being attacked, of course, has been for a good while. And so you're allowed to say something in the press that, that is politically correct or woke, but uh, the other things they don't like, and they're trying to control all of that. Beware of wokeness. So the foes will try to, try to stop all your wells, all your wells of blessing. And then the foes will also try to steal your wells of blessing. Notice what it says in verse 16. Back to Genesis 26, verse 16. It says, And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. So he was, God was blessing him so much that they, they were, uh, he was mightier than they were, and, and Isaac had more than they had, and they said, We don't like this. Get out of here. And so he, he left. And it, Isaac departed thence, and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, a little ways off from them. And dwelt there, and Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham, another one that Abraham had digged. And he digged again those wells. And uh, for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the name by which his father called them. And Isaac's servants digged, a, a, digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. So they were stealing his wells. They stopped his wells. Now they're stealing his wells. And they said, the well is ours. And so they uh, took that away. And he, so he called the name of, of that well Issac, which means contention. And then they dig, Then he moved again and dug, digged another well, and they strove for that also. And he called it Sitna, which means enmity. And so he, he does this work and these wells, and they steal them from him. So he leaves to go somewhere else. And they keep stealing the wells. Well, Satan does that to us today. He wants to steal our wells. Church plans for a new building. We've talked about, planned for this a good while. And uh, what does the devil want? He doesn't want it to happen. (laughs) And the Lord blesses you with some money, and you could give some to the building fund. What does the devil do? 
He'll crop up in your life, and we think it's not related to any of this, but it is. He'll crop up in your life, and he'll do something to make you think, no, you can't give anymore because you've got to deal with this. And the devil's all the time stealing, and so God's people have, have plans of something they think God wants them to do, and the devil tries to steal that from us. We want to expand our missions program. We had a missions conference last month, or a missions emphasis month last month. I still have the flags up. We'll take them down after this Sunday. But I want to mention again our missions. You know, we need more people to give to missions. We need you to promise to give so much to the Lord for missions so we can, we can continue to do what we're doing and even add a missionary. We'd love to do that. Does the devil want you to do that? No. And what will, will, will he do? Uh, we, that's a well that we want to have a blessing from, be able to support somebody else who'll go out there. That's a, that'll be a blessing to our church. But does the devil want that? No, he wants to steal that from us. And he wants to steal away that very potential, that very possibility of us doing that. And so he'll steal it. Our children, a new child comes into a family. And, oh, what a blessing. And, I mean, you just, my wife just lights up when there's a baby. And she goes immediately, we're in a restaurant. Somebody has a baby. She'll walk over to that. She's got to say something about that baby because she likes the baby. All of us are that way, really. We all like new life. And it's a source of blessing to us. But what does the devil do? He wants to steal it as soon as he can. And that beautiful young lady or that young, handsome young man that's growing up, what's the devil want? He wants to take that young man and destroy his life. And young people here today, you need to listen. The devil's out to destroy you. He's not your friend. He's a liar and he's a thief and he's a murderer and he'll do all he can to destroy your life because he does not want you to be a source of blessing to the cause of Christ and to the family of God. And so the devil is in for stealing people's wells. New converts great, bring great joy. Just like a baby brings joy to a family, a new convert brings joy to a church. And the church uh, gets excited when somebody gets saved. Does the devil want that to happen? No, no, he doesn't want that to happen. And if it does happen, what's he do? Immediately he sets out to destroy that new convert, to bring sin in their life, to destroy them, and take away that well of, of, of blessing from them and also for the church. The devil is a well stealer. And that's what he did with Isaac. Well, when Isaac faced the, these problems, what did he do? I thank the Lord for Isaac. He didn't quit. <laughs> he didn't quit. He kept on going. All right, you're going to take this well from me. I'll go somewhere else and dig another one. And so he went somewhere and, and dug another well. Well, he went to Rehoboth, and he dug a well there. And they didn't strive for that well, and he named it Rehoboth, which means plenty of room, plenty of room. And so now we can do what God wants us to do, and I can... I can sow, and I can reap, and I can have my family, and, and we, can have, we can have prosperity here. We can have freedom here. And we dug a new well, and he named it Rehoboth. And probably he left some of his servants, his flocks, and his herds, and he moved a little farther away, and he went back to Beersheba. Now, why did I say back? Because Beersheba was where he lived with Abraham before they went to Mount Moriah. And Abraham offered Isaac up, you remember, and then God stopped him from killing him. And uh, Isaac remembered that. He was a young man. He remembered that. After they left Moriah, they went back to Beersheba. 
and there they lived for a while. And that was probably the closest he had been to the Lord in all of his life. And now he goes back to Beersheba. Probably at Beersheba, well, at Beersheba, we know, according to uh, chapter 21, that Abraham had dug a well there. He dug a well there, and they, they evidently had stopped it. And so his servants say, we're digging a well. And then later in this passage, it says, he comes to, comes to uh, Isaac, and they come to Isaac and said, we found water. And he named it Beersheba, the same name that Abraham had given it. So probably the same well. And so he, he kept on. He kept on going. And the Lord blessed him. And so he, faced with foes, kept on going. Well, we have to go through some of it quickly. But it says then that Abimelech, after he had found out all that was happening with Isaac, how God not only blessed him when he was with him, but when he left, God greatly blessed him again. He came back and said, wait a minute, we we can't leave on bad terms. We told you to leave. We don't want you now to be our enemy. You're too great. And so he comes to to Isaac and says, uh, let's make a deal (laughs) or let's make a pact. And uh, we didn't hurt you, and you promised not to hurt us. Isaac said, why are you coming to me? You, you threw me out. And he said, no, we can see that God is with you, and we can see that you are blessed of the Lord. And so his enemies turned to want peace with him. And Isaac made peace. They had a meal, and they went on. And then we find, as we close this morning, that there was a final source of problems for Isaac. He had problems from the famine. He had problems from fear. He had problems from finances. He had problems from foes. And then he had problems from family. Have you ever been there? <laughs> My wife and I were, I think it was, what was it, Gatlinburg? We saw that sign. It was a shop. We saw a sign. It said, uh, on a business, it said, Come on in. We treat you like family. Somebody says, I'm not going in there. (laughs) Family. Problems with family. Isaac and Rebekah had Jacob and Esau. And Esau married two Hittite wives, heathen. They didn't love the Lord. They didn't worship Jehovah. They were those that the children of Israel should have cast out. But they were there, and they were heathen. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't know anything about Jehovah. And yet Esau, because he had no spiritual perception, and the fact that he just sold his birthright for a bowl of soup showed that he didn't care much for spiritual things. And so he married these two heathen women. And the Bible says they were a grief of mine to Rebekah and Isaac. A grief of mine. You know, family sometimes can cause you grief of mind. And young people, I know most of our young people here today are pretty young, but there's something you need to remember. If you want to keep from having problems with the devil in your life when you get married, make sure you don't want to marry one of his children because he will be your father-in-law, and that's not good. When you marry the devil's children, they don't love Jesus They don't want anything to do with Jesus, but they really love you. Well, that'll be for a while, but then it'll cause problems down the line because you want to serve the Lord, and they don't want to serve the Lord, and it's a problem. 
Well, it's not only a problem to you, but it would be a problem to your family because they want to love their in-laws. They want to include them in their family. But when they don't want to serve the Lord, it just causes a problem. And all of us have faced that. Do you know there's no good family in the Bible? When you say good means they're perfect, no problems. I don't know of any. You pick the greatest man of God in the Bible you might pick out. And I mean, besides Jesus, of course, he's God. But all those others, all of them have problems. Why? Because families always have problems. And you know why they have problems? Families are made up of sinners. <laughs> and sin complicates. And so Isaac faced all these problems. Do you feel like you can identify with Isaac this morning? You see, he faced problems with famine, fear, finances, foes, and family. And there are other areas you can face problems from as well. But I imagine everybody here can say, I, I can identify with all those things. I can identify with all those things. Well, the answer to all those is to accept Jesus as your Savior. It's to know Jesus as your Savior, to know him who will forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and give you help in a world that's full, full of all kind of problems. He's the one that will be there with you. He's the one that will be there to give you advice, or not, or to give you wisdom. He'll be the one there to give you protection. He's the one that will be there to lead you and guide you. He says, I will lead you. And he says, cast all your care on me, for I care for you, and I will take care of you. I'm your friend, and the Lord will be our, our helper in the midst of all of our troubles. But if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, if you've never come to the place where you put your faith and trust in him and believe that he died for your sins on the cross, that he rose again the third day and accept him as your Savior and he becomes your, God becomes your father and you become his child. You're adopted into the family of God. You're very special to him. And I guarantee you, he'll take care of you until you leave this world of problems. But if you don't know Jesus, you face the same problems without the Lord. And you will be uh, one who will be a servant of the one who hates you. And that is the devil. Yes, Isaac had problems. We have problems. The answer to our problems is found in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us that it's just a human condition, really, for us to have problems because we live in a sinful world. But we thank you, Lord, that if we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, if we trust him, that he's the answer to all of our problems. And someday he will give the final answer when he takes us home and takes us away from all the problems of the world and we're in heaven with you. And Lord, we thank you for that promise. But there might be someone here today who's never trust, trusted Jesus as their Savior. I pray that you'd help them to realize today that the only answer for sin is Jesus. And I pray that they will put their faith and trust in you and accept you as their Savior. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.